The scripture reading today is from the letter to the Galatians in the book of Revelation. You can find it printed on page 9 of your worship folder. A reading from Galatians chapter 1 and 3. Paul, an apostle, sent neither by human commission nor from human authorities, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the members of God's family who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but that there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we proclaim to you, let that one be accursed. As we have said before, so now I repeat, if anyone proclaims to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let that one be accursed. Am I now seeking human approval or God's approval? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still pleasing people, I would not be a servant of Christ. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And now a reading from Revelation chapter 21, verse 5. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Lord, we thank you that you are always doing something new. And right now here, through your scripture, you have something to say to us. I pray we would listen to your spirit and experience your presence. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, hey, friends. Hey. Um... I'm, I just want to congratulate you all, first of all, for being here the weekend of Outside Lands. <laughs> you made it? A lot of you made it. This is, I was expecting to have game time or something if only eight people were here. And the last, the second to last weekend before school starts for public schools. So all around your heroes. Congratulations. Um, so I'm Micah. I've been at City Church for almost 10 years. Actually, we moved here in October 2009. So we're coming up on our 10-year San Francisco anniversary. San Francisco anniversary. And um, and before we moved here, my husband Chris and I lived in Philadelphia, where we were for about five years. And, and Chris actually grew up there. So I, I'm from Texas, and I grew up around football, um, but was never like a huge fan. You know, I, everybody, if you live in Texas, you go to high school football games because that's the, I mean, you just do what you're supposed to do for the most part. And then college football is a big deal. But I never had like an NFL team until I met my husband. And he is 
all in for the Eagles. And so it was kind of like falling in love with him felt like I needed to embrace this part of his life. And so I did, and I became a fan. So I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan and have watched them faithfully. I know that's not like cool here <laughs> to say. Actually, um, as far as I know, we're the only car in San Francisco that has like an Eagle sticker on the back. There used to be two cars. Um, <laughs> Ann and Andy Moon, who used to be at City Church, and now they live in Portland, but they had one for a while. Um, so we, you know, have three little boys that we have grown, that have grown up in San Francisco, and we have impressed upon them the, you know, that this is a difficult thing, but this is what we do in our family. We are Philadelphia Eagles fans. And so... Um, a couple of years ago, those of you who follow the NFL know that the Eagles, for the first time ever, won the Super Bowl 2018. Yeah, thanks for that tiny woot. Um, so we, you know, as that season was happening, and it was beautiful, and we were just, you know, living in the delight every Sunday, I turned to my husband during the playoffs, and I was like, Chris, this can't happen to you where you're stuck here for the Super Bowl, and you go to a San Francisco Super Bowl party, and everyone only cares about the guacamole. <laughs> like, we have something that we've got to make happen for you. So we talked about it, and we talked about it, and eventually, all five of us, with our two-year-old, were boarding a red-eye on a Friday night to Philadelphia so we could watch the Super Bowl game with our friends and family there. So we started out the game at my mother-in-law's house, and my, my mother-in-law raised my husband on her own, and they loved the Eagles together and watched every game. So it was very sweet for us to like get to have you know, the first half with her. And then we got the two older boys, and we ran down the street to our good friend's house, who lives just a block and a half away. And we watched the rest of the game there. And... Of course, it's like 11 whatever, and the Eagles have won, and my boys are losing their minds. And my friends are like, we've got to do something. So my friend runs to the garage. She can't find any of like the old fireworks she thought they had once. And she runs into the kitchen, and she grabs pots and pans and spoons. And we run out into the street, and all the way back, like a little tiny nighttime parade, to my mother-in-law's house, we bang pots and pans and scream for the eagles until, until we got there and just, you know, everyone just hugged my, their grandma so hard. It was a really, it was an awesome moment, right, Brixie? Um, it was good news, and good news always demands a response. In that case, it was pots and pans. Um, the... The, the author and pastor, Nadia Boltzweber, talks about that idea of good news and what we read about in Galatians 1, where Paul is talking about the gospel. She says that 2,000 years ago, the word gospel was a term used for something like a military newsflash. The king had won a victory, and it elicited a response. 
So it's, she compares it to it being like when the, the owner of a crowded bar shouts, drinks are on the house, and everybody says, yeah. Good news that elicits a response. So over and over, the followers of Jesus would take these words and phrases that belonged to Caesar, that belonged to the empire, and they would kind of co-opt them because they were building a new kingdom. So they were taking kingdom words, right? But this kingdom of God that was coming in with good news was not a military, a normal military newsflash. It was one that was turned upside down. And this is where the king does not win by violence, but by violence done to him. This is where the king is crucified and the kingdom is made up not of warriors, but of the weak who could never earn their place in the kingdom. So this crucified king is powerful in an upside down way. He wins a victory and it's not over other kingdoms, it's over the depth of pain in the world. It's over death and everything that it represents. And so we hear these words, this word gospel that Paul is using in Galatians 1. And we can read it as people knowing that, that the people of the kingdom, those of us who are welcomed in, can never earn our place here. We're picked up, we're carried in, we're rescued from the lives we are living by a king whose kingdom is for us. So the owner of the bar shouts, drinks are on the house, and everybody says, yeah. And that's what worship is. It's the yeah part. So today we're looking at Galatians. And this is one of Paul's letters, the Apostle Paul. And um, to understand it, we have to understand what Paul took that word gospel to mean. Um, and then once we understand that, then we can understand why he's so frustrated. There are three points I think that Paul wants the Galatians to hear from him. And one is that the gospel is always good. Two, that the gospel is always inclusive. And three, that the gospel is always doing a new thing. So the gospel is always good. So we know about Paul that he had traveled from city to city bringing the message of Jesus. And when he would go into a city, he would share the gospel. And if people came to faith, then he would sit with them. He would build this community of followers. He would teach them. And then when he felt like there were leaders to take on that community, he would go on to another place. So in all of these letters that we have in the New Testament that Paul's writing, he's writing to these communities of believers in these specific places where he spent time. And Paul loved his churches. You can see it in all his letters to them. He always gets right to his point because as most of us know, if we've ever grown up in a church or been in a church, it's these churches of ours are not perfect. And they weren't then either. And so he's usually responding to something that needs some fixing. So he here comes into these first 10 verses telling them that actually, you guys, you've been taught a lie by your leaders, by your teachers. 
And I'm going to tell you what the lie is. This is what Paul says, and I love this version from the message, so I'm going to read that. The gospel, Paul says in verse 4, is Jesus Christ rescued us from this evil world we're in by offering himself as a sacrifice for our sins. God's plan is that we all experience that rescue, that everyone experience that rescue. And this is the military newsflash, that our king has won through humility and love and not through violence and dominance and not through demanding anything of us. So that's not the gospel that it's being preached by the leaders in the church in Galatia. And we'll see it, we see it later in the letter. But what, what is happening is they're saying, yes, we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but we can't have Jewish believers and Gentile believers living as though they're part of the same family. We need for all the Gentile believers to like, do some extra stuff to get in on the inner circle. And so basically, like, once they become Jews, then they can get on, on the real stuff. And the rest can just stay out here. Becoming Jews means being circumcised, if you're a man. I don't know what women had to do. They don't even talk about it. <laughs> so then you do all that stuff, then you're welcome to God's family. There's the gospel. Um, Paul's not having any of this. He's like, he understands that the good news he experienced in Christ is never earned. And good news always leads to more good news. And this is not good news for a whole lot of people. The second thing Paul wants us to know is that the gospel is always inclusive. In these 10 verses, Paul's addressing what he sees as this major problem, and the problem is exclusion. He's writing to say everyone should be welcome at this table. And we see it there in that verse 4. God's plan is that we all experience that rescue. So this is not a kingdom like the Roman kingdom. This is not one where one kind of person dominates, where the Romans get rights and privileges that aren't available to the rest of society, right? The good news is that the king gives his life because of love, and that love's available for everybody. But the gospel that's being preached in Galatia says, first change, first become part of our group, and then the love of God is available to you. But if, if we know the gospel is always including more, then we know the table of God is always making more space. So the version of the gospel ends up being what Paul says is no gospel at all. It's not good news because good news leads to more good news. This version is probably not even a purposeful exclusion. Because it would make total sense to these leaders, these these people who are probably newish believers who are leading them, for them to think that circumcision would totally be necessary for faith. That's because Jesus was circumcised. That's because it was so deeply ingrained as scriptural, so deeply cultural. It's written there in the Bible. 
For most Jewish men, it would have been impossible to imagine a world where God could accept someone who wasn't circumcised. So this is an exclusion that's based on culture. And it's an exclusion of people who are trying their best to help people come to Jesus. It's the kind of exclusion that most of us have probably been part of in our lives. Because of course there are times that people exclude purposefully, but I think that most of the time our exclusion of others in life and in the church is subtle. It's done through small acts, through small decisions that aren't meant to hurt, but just how it's always been done. So, um, some of you know that my, my son, my youngest son, who's four, his name is Ace. He's a little dreamboat, and he runs around sometimes around here. Um, he has Down syndrome. And in the last couple, well, this year he's four, so he's going into his second year of preschool. Um, and about a year and a half ago, we started the process of getting him into the pre-K program in the school district. Um, and that was like a six-month-long process of testing and meetings and the school district coming to us with what they thought was best and us pushing back with what we thought was best. And we came into that process having read a lot because... I'm a reader, and when I don't know what to do as a parent, I just read more. So I had done a lot of research on Down syndrome and education. I had planned my dreams for his life in school. And what I had found over and over in all the research over the past 30 years was that children with Down syndrome, and really most children with any kind of intellectual difference, thrive in inclusive settings. And this is kind of known all through education, that when you exclude and you place children in their own room for the special intellectually different children and keep all of the typical kids together, that everybody suffers. But it's a lot harder putting into practice for school districts because it's more expensive. And it requires more students and it requires more teachers. But, you know, I'm Ace's mom. So I went to them with my research and um, they said, we're gonna place Ace in the special classroom. And I said, actually, we're not. <laughs> and, um, it was a long process. And eventually, to get him into the classroom that I wanted for him, where he now is and is thriving, I had to threaten a lawsuit, as you do sometimes. And um, miraculously, woo, he just went into the class. Um, now, I think that these teachers and these therapists who do the testing and the special educators are all working with what they have and doing the best they can. I also think that the school district needs to change what their best practices are. And I think that no one went into those meetings or tested my son with evil intent. 
they just always put children with Down syndrome into the special classroom. I think that that's how exclusion usually works. It's just easier. It's just what we've always done. And so when I look at these leaders in Galatia, I think they're probably doing their best, but they're not getting it right. Inclusion is what is at the very heart of what's different about the story of Jesus. Paul says, let me be blunt, this is a lie about God. And what's the lie? It's that there's more you have to do to receive the love and rescue of Jesus. There's more you have to do. So Paul's talking about Gentiles having to take on Jewish biblical traditions, and we just love adding on rules to gifts, don't we? So the story of Jesus says that there's no performance necessary. There's no earning the love of Christ. There's no cultural demand. There's no spiritual practice that you have to do. It's free to all, and everyone is welcome at the table. The late author, Rachel Held Evans, said it this way. This is what God's kingdom is like. A bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at a table, not because they are rich or worthy or good, but because they are hungry, because they said yes. And there's always room for more. That's what's asked of us, hunger and our yes. Do our lives preach that there's always room for more? Do our lives preach that in our work, in our families, in our politics, here in this church community? You know, we, our pastors stand up here every week and they say, that everyone is welcome, rich or poor, every ethnicity, whatever your sexual orientation or your gender identity. And I wonder if we actually live those words out in our community. And finally, this passage reminds us that the gospel is always doing a new thing in our midst. In Revelation 21, 5, the Christ echoes Isaiah 43 when he says, I am making all things new. I think we can think of the gospel as a living, flowing stream that we can be inside. And if we're inside, we're paying attention to where it's going. This passage is displaying the newness of God's work through the gospel where we see Paul actually countering the Bible as he'd always understood it. The Old Testament was clear that to be faithful to follow the way of God was to be circumcised. But Paul's saying, hey, now I'm reading scripture through the lens of Jesus. So Paul's claiming something radical. He's saying that Jesus is the true word of God, so this is how he looks at it now. Um... I, I lead a CG for um, the, the youth group girls 
here at City Church. I get to co-lead with my pal over there. Um, And we've been teaching our girls about the Jesus glasses. I see some of them over there. That's right. These are the Jesus glasses. I know, they're really cool. Um, And when we come to scripture that's hard to figure out, we make them put on their Jesus glasses and look at it through the lens of Jesus. Because if it's a hard passage to figure out, first we have to think about what Jesus would say about it. Our Jesus glasses help us listen to the Holy Spirit as we come to Scripture. And that same Holy Spirit is what led, led Philip to take the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. And that it was a man, a eunuch, is a man who is not capable of being circumcised. As a man whose gender identity and expression was culturally unfit for what had always been accepted as good or right. And Philip says to him, there is no reason you can't be baptized. And that same Holy Spirit led Peter in Acts 10 into a new way of seeing the movement of God. Where, the, where God revealed to him that there wasn't pure and profane food, just as there weren't pure people and profane people. That everyone is worthy, Jew or non-Jew. Everyone's invited into the gospel. And this leads Paul into Galatians 3, a couple of pages over, where he will just about shout, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female, slave nor free. And this is the new vision that the Holy Spirit is giving the apostles. And and Paul adds the reason why he's speaking so confidently. He says, am I here to satisfy men? Am I here for people who are used to the same old thing? No, God's doing something new. I wouldn't be a servant of Christ if I was just here to please everybody. Y'all, this entire passage is a miracle, and it's a miracle that we're part of. Because we, those, especially those of us who are not Jewish, would not know the life-changing power of Jesus if the disciples had stayed in their lane, if they hadn't been open to God's Spirit doing something new. The gospel is a good story. It's a pots and pans clinging announcement that God has come to rescue us. Regardless of our status, our gender or gender identity, our race or ethnicity, whether we're legal or illegal, whether we dress appropriately or inappropriately, whether we are winners or losers, ordinary or exceptional, typical or different. And this is the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in our midst now. The king has won a victory, and we're invited to live inside of it. 
And that kind of good news demands a response. Let's pray. God, it's hard to get our heads around um, what the gospel means, what it means to be transformed by your spirit. But we thank you that you go beyond the limits that we have set for ourselves. And that you break through all of the ways that we make each other earn your love. And so I pray that here this morning, we would all know and receive that we are welcome at your table and that you are always making more space. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.